Hello and welcome back to The Function Room with me, Colm O'Regan. This week, we're going to have a little chat about AI, or chat GPT to be precise. It's that phrase, chat GPT, it's probably creeping into your brain these days. You hear it somewhere, then you hear it again, and before you know it, your dentist will mention it to you in mid-D scale. ChatGPT is a chatbot that's a cut above the ones you've seen before. To give you an idea of how good it is, uh, I went on to the website, which is chat.openai.com, and I just put into ChatGPT, I said I was having some building work done, and I just was looking for a quote for how much it would cost. And this is how good AI is getting now. ChatGPT replied saying it'd give me a ring on Tuesday and I never heard from it again. That is scary. Now, ChatGPT and all the AIs are of huge interest to my guest, Conrad Wolfram. He's kind of a big deal. Strategic and International Director of Wolfram Research, which makes Mathematica the computational software. He has lots of fascinating stuff to say after nearly four decades involved in computational education and mathematical software and all that kind of thing. Conrad has written the Maths Fix about how AI will or should make the maths we study in school uh, look very different. And he tells me what maths class should look like in a school in a few years' time and why that could be good for all. First, though, I asked Conrad to introduce himself. Conrad Wolfram, you're very welcome to the Function Room. For those who don't know you, who are you and what do you do? Okay, well, yeah, it's nice to be here, particularly in an aptly named Function Room. Uh, so my day job is, uh, for over 30 years, I've been involved in, in a sense, pushing the boundaries of math, technology, and computation to be able to work out more and more with a computer. And that's through our Wolfram research and products, Mathematica and Wolfram Alpha and, and other things like that. And so we're trying to basically make sure that whatever walk of life you're in, including learning, uh, you can use a computer to do more and more mathematics and computation and work more and more stuff out. And out of that, I then started realizing uh, how do humans need to change to make this to make this transition to this world we're in where computers can do so much of it. And so that's when I started computer-based math and trying to reform what we as humans need to learn uh, to make a make a better go of that. We'll come to the reform bit in a while. First of all, you said the word Mathematica. I recognize that. <laughs> I've seen it somewhere. Uh, that's a pretty big deal. And I think uh, somebody who also was a pretty big deal came up with the title. Is that right? Uh, indeed. So Steve Jobs, who came up with the idea of calling it Mathematica, he was at our launch event with my brother in uh, 1988, uh, so we, 23rd of June. So we will be 35 this year, if I can do my arithmetic properly. And uh, we were bundled on his computers then called Next Machine. So that was when he'd been fired from Apple and uh, he'd built his, a separate computer company called Next. And in fact, a lot of the technology from that ended up back in Apple when he went back to Apple. And so we were bundled on those machines. And the nice other side story to that is... Um, one of the purchases of those machines was uh, Tim Berners-Lee out in CERN. Uh, he bought a set of Next machines, I think partly so they could run Mathematica, and uh, the, he inven invented the web on them. So <laughs> full circle for that. Well, well, that's all from you, Conrad. Thanks very much. That'll do for the podcast. <laughs> that's good enough for a story. Uh, so you, you, you've been intertwined Tarantino-like in these par parallel storylines of the web and personal computing over a long period of time. Indeed, it makes me feel very old. Yeah, 35 years is a long time ago, isn't it, in in computers? Well, and, and even in humans, yeah. <laughs> That's true. So the reason I asked you on is uh, to talk about ChatGPT, and you had uh, you've written recently about it, and obviously you've been writing for a while about it, but first of all, ChatGPT, I always feel a word, you, you, you become aware of it. It flickers across maybe a social media feed. There might be a joke about it. And then there comes a point at which somebody that you wouldn't expect says 
have you heard about this chat GPT thing? Like your your granny or a toddler? Some you know somehow it's it reaches critical mass. I don't know where it is at the moment, but I know lots of people are hearing about it and talking about it. What is chat GPT when it's at home and indeed when it's in our home? Well, I think the term technically is sort of generative pre-trained transformer, which doesn't tell you very much. Um, what it's, I mean, there's several layers. This. I mean, I'm, I'm not really the expert on chat GPT itself, but what it does is, it, I mean, you can type stuff into it uh, like a, like you talk to, like I'm having this conversation with you. And it would come back and say something amazingly sort of articulate often. And it's quite extraordinary when, if you've never tried it, it really is quite an extraordinary step forward in that discourse. Um, and and ChatGPT is sort of one particular type, you know, brand of this in a sense. And, and the bigger, they're called large language models or LLMs. And, and we'll see a whole range of these coming up. But, but ChatGPT has been a, a very... Uh, interesting step forward and and it's sort of just massively different to communicating with a computer before it really has sort of jumped us forward in what ais might do and you know and and it's exciting but sort of scary and you can do things beyond what i mean i got it to write a poem uh well i mean is a is a silly example Uh, my name wolfram my surname is also another name for the metal tungsten which is element 74 in the periodic table so I got it to write some poems on my blog about, uh, you know, and, and in old star light bulbs before LEDs, uh, we were used as the filaments, so to speak, because we have a very high melting point and are quite dense. Uh, so, um, so I asked it to write a poem about the metal wolfram and light bulbs. And it wrote this amazing little poem. I could never have done that. So that's the sort of thing you see out of ChatGPT. You know, in a sense, what it's doing is it's trained itself off a huge amount of information that's out there on the web. It doesn't do that real time. It doesn't do that live. It's done that in the past. And like people, it sometimes gets the wrong end of the stick. Uh, so it has a very lovely conversation, but it may or may not be be right some of the time. And it, for people who, are, who, have, who have actually been interacting with AI for quite some time, but not knowing it, so they talk to Alexa and Alexa listens to them, or they, they, they go on to the the gas company website to complain about something and then you know a chat bot appears so chat gpt if if you haven't tried it yet is a superior chat bot where perhaps i don't know i haven't done any conversations with it but i write a column for the irish examiner so i said write a column in the style of colin o'regan a humorous column and it came back with now, a fairly, I would say, obviously, completely crap version of what I would write. But for me, the scary thing was that if nobody had heard of me, they would have read the column yeah, and gone, oh, that's what I'd expect so from away, a... Right? Yeah, yeah. That's what I'd expect from somebody of that ilk. You know, it was about the Irish weather. And I'm like, okay, I tend to write a bit about that. Um, and in practical terms, so it it's it's got a load of... it's lear- it, it's It's got a load of text. Has it downloaded the internet? onto a hard drive and then it it has a load of words combination of words and the ai has you know you ask it something it recognizes the patterns in that and searches its enormous brain for want of a better word which is consists of all the knowledge in the world like the like the chinese encyclopedia where they wrote you know a thousand books a thousand years ago to gather all the, the snapshot of everything we knew at that point is it is am I oversimplifying? Yeah, it's not far off. I mean, actually, my brother Stephen just wrote a very detailed description on his blog of exactly how this works. One of the most viewed descriptions of it, and, and a book called "What Is Chat GPT Doing and Why Does It Work?" Um, so uh, that's the longer version. But more or less, I mean, you know, without going to technicalities, that that's what it's doing. It's it's the magic, in a sense, is how it learns from the information and how it then puts that together. Uh, and that's the magic of what's been advanced in the last few years. Also, the computational power that's allowed that to come to the fore, which is, you know, couldn't have happened some years ago as we just didn't have the computing power. Uh, so it's, it, it, and, you know, some of what it's doing is is a little bit similar in essence to how a person might learn, uh, not not in terms of the innards, but in terms of sort of the, the way it, it perceives things. So it's quite, it, it, 
it's it's an amazing sort of connection between humans and computers in a way that hasn't happened. And back to your point about sort of chatbots. I mean, chatbots have been incredibly simplistic up to now. And, you know, it's incredibly frustrating usually using them because, as you know, you you, you say something slightly non-obvious. I mean, it also reminds me of my car, which is, I don't know, a few years old. And it's like there was a point at which... I mean, they wrote in the instruction manual what words you had to speak to it for it to understand you. Okay, like you know, we've moved on a bit from that to a chat, a chatbot to to chat GPT, and uh, it's. I think what will happen is we'll, we'll sort of see edges to what what it can do. We're, we're we're amazed by it right now. Then there'll sort of be a thing where it's, oh my gosh, it couldn't quite do this, it couldn't quite do this, and it got this wrong, and so forth. And the and then we'll sort of jump back to actually it does cover these amazing areas of things. And in a sense, one of the things I think that it will help with is democratizing writing as well as reading. So when we talk about literacy across the world, it's people are much better readers than they are writers usually. I think this will help people a lot to become writers. Now, that doesn't mean you just say, here, go write this for me. I think we'll we'll get a mode of working often where it'll be like, write me a first draft of this. And then yeah. as a human, I might go and adjust that. But adjusting a draft is a very different skill to s- starting from scratch. And crucially, it could be great for overcoming inertia, h- human inertia about starting Absolutely. a task. Well, writing of human language, but also interestingly, writing of computer code. So there's a, a whole... I mean, the idea that you should sit and start, you know, sort of grungily writing a piece of computer code from scratch, I think those days may be numbered for most tasks. Now, again, a bit like what I said with human writing tasks, I think a mode, and I'm really excited about this, by the way, is being able to take a language like our Wolfram language, for example, and telling, and you can do this, right, you know, you can say, write a piece of code that does whatever you want it to do, uh, and it will make a first attempt at that, and you literally get a piece of computer code out, it doesn't always work. But what's exciting about it is it's kind of assembled the elements you need. Uh, And particularly for our our language is very, very high level and has lots of information built in, data and everything else. Now, for us, the problem when you learn our language as against some other languages like Python and things is that because we're much higher level, we have many more commands it's a bit like learning a human language. And so often you think, oh my gosh, have I, you know, if I can look up the one thing I really needed, that's great. But if I have, you know, a slightly more complicated thing to string together, did, did I, other 3,000 commands, did I get the four that were the ones I really wanted? And that's always a bit of a challenge when people are learning. This really helps with that because it will assemble the things to use. And then editing that is much easier than a low level language. So I'm excited about where that's taking us in terms of everybody being a democratizing programming in a sense. A brief digression in as this is, uh, as the function room is kind of, its genesis is in, in maths in general. What is the maths behind AI in terms of the kind of areas that we might have some vague memory of in school that ultimately grow up to become used in AI and computers thinking talking acting like humans well yes you've asked two different questions there (laughs) and we'll come on so i mean the the sort of headline thing people have probably heard is machine learning is is sort of the driver of what it's doing here the machine learning is the way by which it learns things and neural networks are behind that but there are also bits of mathematics you get in in sort of higher level school mathematics or early university things like eigenvectors that tend to be quite important uh in the insides of how this works. Uh, And we build a lot of technology that's used for formulating these things and so forth. Um, And so, so, I mean, just to make perhaps an obvious point, but maths or what I would call more generally computation underlies all of this, right? I mean, maths is the most successful system of problem solving the world has ever seen. And in a sense, uh, it underlies. The reason I said you'd ask two different questions you asked, so what, did, what, what is it that you learned at school that you would also see underlying this? And the answer is not as much as you should, right? Because uh, the problem, as I'm sure we'll come on to, is that the curriculum for math at school is completely diverged from what we actually need, in my view. 
And so all the things you're learning at school, like you're solving a quadratic equation and things like this, are far more disconnected from what from the underlying how this chat GPT works than it ought to be. So some of the things like I mentioned, like machine learning, good example, where does that occur in the maths curriculum? Uh, I don't think I've seen a maths curriculum of that in yet at school. That's a problem, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, so maths in general absolutely should be part of this, but not necessarily the maths you're learning at school. Well, uh, let's pick that up. So, because uh, you mentioned quadratic equation, I'm not a maths teacher. Uh, I did maths in school and then I did a bit of engineering. And there's a bit of me nostalgic for the bit where you've got the pen and the thing works out and it's wrapped up in a neat bow. So if I was to place myself perhaps in the brain of a traditional maths teacher, I probably think maybe, although there's nothing, you know, you're doing stuff that's um doesn't bear any relationship to this brave new world, it's still good to get them you know, doing those, like the, the the idea of first principles. And I think we used to do stuff like derive from first principles, the blah, blah, blah. Now, the fact that I said the blah, blah, blah means I can't actually remember what happened after the, yeah. after the, sent, after the phrase first principles. But uh, so, so that would be like where people might be coming from about sure. a maths curriculum. And then they look at uh, typing because it's interesting, I, I use ChatGPT to say, explain to me like I'm five what uh, the Euler equation is. And it gave me an answer that I couldn't find on the internet because if I go on to Wikipedia, as soon as you go, uh, you, you look up the thing you want to find out about, if you're just curious, it straight away will start, it, the first sentence will have 10 linked topics that themselves, basically this Greek letter that I didn't even know were in the alphabet, suddenly start appearing. Um, but at the same time, you know, well, you wouldn't know that because you'd need to do all the other stuff because yeah. you didn't go back to first principles. So, so ChatGPT is kind of just cheating if you don't know, you know. So, so obviously there's a huge gap between where a curriculum is and school and sitting down doing, somebody's at the board saying, this is how you do this thing. There's a child of some age from five to 18, picking it up. Um, but that if they get it right, they're confident they've got right back to triangles and they've built upon it. Yeah, and I mean, here's, the, here's, here's the difficulty. Uh, I, I'm thinking of the best analogy. I mean, so uh, two or three analogies that come to mind. It's like, I mean, people learn something from compulsory Latin for everyone, which used to exist at least in sort of academic schools. And I don't know what it's like in Ireland. Certainly in, in England, you had to, in the 50s, you had to have a Latin A-level as, as we do exams before you go to college. Uh, in virtually every subject, you weren't allowed into a top college without a Latin A-level. You'd look at that now and you'd think that's nuts. I mean, what, you know, to study biology, why do I need a Latin A-level? It's like, it doesn't seem to have much to do with it. And they're right. Uh, it's not that Latin was hopeless. Latin did teach a bunch of things and there was a satisfaction some people had from it. So I think one thing you've got to separate is what is essential for everyone? What do you literally want to force the population to learn, however much they don't seem to warm to it? Versus what do individual students find interesting? And sometimes with a bit of a shove, right? You know, they might not say, they might say, oh, this is boring for the first few weeks. And then actually they suddenly see actually a bit more exciting than I thought. Uh, so you've got to separate those two. Now, the problem with maths at the moment is it's, it's, you know, compulsory. Many people hate it. It's, you're told that if you fail at it, you're a failure, basically, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the question is, does it justify this in its current form? It's back to the Latin and ancient Greek argument. And I would say, no, honestly, it doesn't. Now, it, it, other things that you're learning in there anyway that are useful, yes, but we could do them many, many times better. You could sort of learn the thing directly rather than learning some derivation of long division that really, you don't do long division anymore by hand. So don't learn the derivation of long division as the thing to force everyone to learn. If you're interested in the history of maths and how calculations happen and you get excited by that, great. A lot of what people end up learning, if you take long division as an example, they don't actually understand what they're doing at school. They're just 
applying a process. They're like turning a handle that they've learned in order to produce the result, which is exactly what we don't want them focusing on. If you can turn a handle to produce the result, you can get a computer to do it very well. In fact, much better than you. What we need people to do is the creative, what I call computational thinking or computational literacy that allows them to deploy computational problems, get answers for their life or for their work, make better decisions. That's what we need them to do. And using the power of computers. Now, you know, if you look back pre-chat GPT, we've we've had Mathematica, uh, you know, where you could type something in for 20, 30 years and do better basically at calculating something than a human. But you need to know exactly what you're typing in a sort of, you know, syntactic way. Then Wolfram Alpha, our thing came along in 2009, and that already made it a lot better. You could type in a fairly rough thing, you know, solve this equation, and out it would come and give you the equation. So that already opened things up a lot. I think the ChatGPT thing is exciting because it's even more of a, like, just tell me about this, like you said, about Euler's equations or whatever, and then you can even say, work this out. And the really exciting thing with the plugin that we announced uh, with ChatGPT a few weeks ago is that it's kind of like... The good thing about ChatGPT is you can have a chat with it, like we're having, and you can get pretty cogent answers. The bad thing is some of its facts are wrong, <laughs> right? So you can get nonsense being talked out some of the time, and it learns, etc. Wolfram Alpha is totally the other end of the of the spectrum. So we have curated facts. What we're doing is every time you ask it a question, we are computing fresh for you an answer. And the, the example I often give is if you say, where is the International Space Station? It will go away right at the second and compute where it is. And it will do that because NASA feeds out data, I think, every seven or eight hours. We then have the model to know, given where it fed out, when it fed out the data, here's where it's moved in the sky. Here's where it actually is to the moment, right? So that's us. So if you put those two together, the reason I'm so excited about this combination, it's pretty exciting. It's, it's pretty cool because you get, so to speak, chat GPT with the facts straight. So we've been sort of nicknaming this fact G- GPT. And so that means that you can then do all sorts of things that are either you can compute in the moment and get a nice layer around that, or you know you can be much more sure you've got sort of got the answer right because it's deploying our, our data and so forth. And the culmination of this is as, which is how I found out that you were involved in this, a chat GPT with the Wolfram plugin sat the A-level maths. How did it get on? It got 96% on the paper we tried it on. Okay. Which is amazing. And it got... So, I mean, just to compare, with ChatGPT alone on that paper, got 43%. So still actually fairly amazing, right? Yeah. You know, at some level. But obviously, that's a U rather than an A star. Um, and... I mean, to do that, I mean, literally, what we're talking about here is obviously for years, you've been able to take the essence of the question and feed it into Wolfram Alpha and get Wolfram Alpha to do pretty much all of these things, right? But what we're talking about here is something beyond that. It's like take the exact question as it's written with its text, you know, I mean, changing subscripts and things, but but fundamentally the whole thing as it's written, shove it in and it comes out with a, you know, an answer that a human correcting it I think, you know, would give it 96%. Um, and actually, just even more than that, there's a thing uh, we have called further maths. So if you want to go to a, like a top university to do a very technical subject like physics or something, you typically have to take further maths. Uh, the paper we tried it on, 94% in further maths. So that's like beyond. I mean, I think, in, I forget what the percentages are, but like an A, you can't get an A star in further maths usually here, but an A is like, I don't know, 75% or something. Uh, so... As I put in my blog post, I, I, it's game over for maths A level and equivalent equivalent subjects uh, and sooner or later. It game over. Why then? Because in the end, we don't need students competing with what AIs do well, and in the end, they'll lose. If if you're competing, I mean, in in all industrial revolutions, and this one being of the fastest moving in history. And the one that sort of targets quintessentially human intellectual skills in, in a way that no previous industrial revolution, previous, previous industrial revolutions have been sort of more about brawn than, than brain in a sense, you know, can we out? But in the end, if you have a machine that works well, the history of this is, if you as a human try to outdo it, you lose. 
This is a case with maths A-level. Maths A-level has been held up as the subject most necessary for the AI age that we're entering. You know, it's like, what are we forcing everyone to do at school? What are we forcing everyone to believe is the most important subject? It's maths. Yeah. And here we are with the very AIs that we're trying to train people to work with, outdoing the human by miles. Uh, so what that tells us... So it's, it's, almost, it's almost like saying, um, in order to be a great uh, a steam engine operator, you personally need to be able to push pistons really quickly. Yep. Yep. And I use a very similar analogy. I mean, I use an analogy often with, you know, I mean, not only if you want to be a good car driver, you know, want to get from A to B, and even that's turning self-driving, but let's say with the current state of things where you have to drive yourself, you know, learning to drive is the sort of democratized skill, right? But in order to do that, you don't need to know how to machine a piston. I mean, it's just a completely disparate skill. Uh, and even if you were becoming an automotive engineer, machining a piston is not what you need to know these days. It was 100x years ago when cars were new and the people who drove cars, people who made cars. But we've got that layer of automation, and that's exactly what's happened with maths. I mean, sometimes I refer to horse-drawn carts, right? It, again, you don't want to learn how to operate machinery of the past to do what you want to do now. You, you know, if we insisted everybody learned how to not only, I mean, to to drive a horse-drawn carriage in order to learn how to drive a car, that would rule out a lot of people, waste a lot of time. It's not totally irrelevant, but it's pretty irrelevant. And that's what we're doing at the moment. And it will just end up losing. And it's it's real shame to see. And it, it's it's even worse than that because we're we're throwing a lot of people under the bus at the same time for no reason at all. It's like in the past, if you weren't, very good at learning your Latin verbs. You know, you didn't weren't good at the pluperfect subjunctive of ammo. Somehow that sort of discriminated against you, you know, doing biology at Oxford, right? Why? It's not got a lot to do with what the skill you need. You might be good at it. You might not be good at it. It's got some sort of correlation, maybe. But we don't need to throw people under the bus to press off the population when it isn't the thing they need. And what would an A-level question be in a subject which might be called maths or might be called uh, computing or whatever, you know, some yeah. some verb. Uh, and by the way, leaving cert in Ireland and equivalent A-level being for 18-year-olds, roughly speaking, to, before they go to university. What would, they, what would a question look like? The question, so the question at the moment can currently be solved to nearly 100% by AI. What question adds, you know, is food for a, a, a brain, a human brain? Well, I think you've got to look at what is it that you want to actually do in the outside world. I mean, in the end, this is for ex- essentially accelerating people's experience for problems they might actually want to solve using computation as a way to solve them. That's the point. And also not being fooled by decisions that other people are pushing out, you know, uh, you know, like we had in the pandemic with lots of graphs and charts, whether you should get a vaccine, not get a vaccine, you know, you, you need to make sure that you've got a level of literacy, computational literacy in the population that people don't get fooled by all these decisions that are being made on the basis of computation. So sorts of questions. Oh, I mean, the typical sort of uh, uh, question you might have is, you know, I, here are two, two versions of a website. Uh, and here's all the data, you know, a million data points from each, right? You know, which one is performing better? Now, what does better mean? Well, it depends what you're trying to achieve with your website. Depends what you want. So there are a lot of apparently fuzzy questions. But in the end, it comes down to data analysis in that case. So what you're trying to do is, it, in the end, a human is consuming this. So what you want to... The questions are very human questions that we need to be asking, and one of the things we've been doing over the last few years is building a set of sort of modules that represent a curriculum that we would call computer-based maths, probably, or if you don't want the maths word, you call computational thinking. Uh, and they start with problems like, can I spot a cheat? Right? So, you know, here's a bunch of data. Is the person cheating? And one of the simple ones we do is we say, uh, let's take half a class and get them to toss a coin 200 times 
and write down the results heads or tails. Um, and let's get the other half of the class to cheat by just typing in, you know, H and T on the keyboard. And let's analyze those and send the results to the teacher and see if the teacher can tell who cheated. And the answer is almost always the answer is they can tell. And many of the students are amazed that, that that's possible. And it turns out it's to do with the sequence that you type. You tend to over, you make it too even and things when you type it. You, yeah. So that's a typical kind of problem. That and there is, there is maths in that because they are looking at patterns. Absolutely. And, and patterns are fundamentally a huge part of what maths is anyway. Yeah, and they're thinking the, the bit that's so important. I mean, one of the ways I describe this is is it's worth thinking about computational maths as a four step process. You know, you define a problem, which you know, a problem you want to solve. You know, can I spot a cheat? You know, should I insure my laptop computer? Uh, you know, yeah. is it worth insuring it or not? Right, that's the problem. You then turn that into this weird abstracted mathematics, which is most days, m- most of the time now, is computer code, and that's the sort of magic thing of abstracting to figure out how you turn it into this language that allows us to apply hundreds of years of knowledge to this very efficiently. So then step three is you take the question in abstract form to the answer and you get X equals three or whatever you're used to getting. And then step four is you say, okay, X equals three. What does that mean? Is that, does that give me the answer I wanted? Does that make sense? Is that accurate enough? Does, you know, am I sense checking that? Maybe I need to go around the loop again. Step three is what computers uh, have been able to do fantastically well now for many years. And that's the step we are focusing all our all our students' time on in school. That's the one step the computer's been able to do for ages. The other steps are what we really need to focus on. Now, arguably, ChatGPT is taking you from step one to step two, from define to abstract, more than we've had before. So that's an extra new thing. In the past, I would have been saying a year ago, you really need to get people to learn every detail about abstracting so you can use the computation but now that's even being peeled back a bit further and just to jump in there brief sentence on because i said it the word abstraction and abstracting but when we say abstract in this context quick sentence on what that means it means turning human language human problem that you and i could chat about in english and into the language of maths for want of a better word and why do we do that? Why are we turning it into equations or whatever else we're turning it into? But let's say an equation. We're doing that because uh, what maths has done is, is figured out a way to take lots of things that apparently look different in the world, turn them into a relatively small number of representations, let's say an equation as one of them, and be able to put that into an answer by deploying problem solving which you couldn't do using just English. So it allows you to, the reason for abstracting, so abstracting is turning it into this language. And the reason for doing that is because you can solve problems you um, much more precisely than you could ever solve by discussing them in English. Okay, got it. Um, it sounds like some of the things you're describing there, people are always saying, oh, we need to teach our children critical thinking to be able to spot misinformation or to be able to call out uh, public officials when they're giving us crap data or they're chopping off the bottom half of the y-axis to make a graph look steeper or make things look worse than they are. It feels like what you're saying is that that need for critical thinking allied with the fact that you think maths so much of the way it's being taught is a waste of students' time. You merge those two you end up solving two problems neatly with a bow. Yep. I think there are two ends of the spectrum. And the thing that is most important for our societies is what I would call computational literacy. And this is quite like what we saw a couple of hundred, well, starting maybe a couple of hundred years ago, uh, maybe or 150 years ago, in terms of the idea of mass literacy, that everyone should learn to read and write. I mean, that was a new idea in the 19th century has been possibly the most empowering, you know, single educational idea in history. Uh, and what, what, and, and just to re- rehearse what that was a little bit, I mean, you know, at the time there were sort of aristocrats and high priests and other people who could read and write, and they told the rest of the population basically what to believe. And that's very dangerous because 
you can tell them any old crap basically and you know it's hard for them to know how to critically you know assess that we're in a quite similar situation now we've got sort of high priests and aristocrats of data science and modeling some of them are very good people some of them aren't you know and uh it's very hard for most of the population to have any assessment of what on earth they're saying and then they're being asked to make decisions about this and, and we saw this as i mentioned a lot in the pandemic so it is absolutely critical for our societies that that is spread. And that doesn't necessarily mean everybody's solving the hardest equations and, you know, making new mathematics. What it means is, you know, cause versus correlation. Do you understand how to assess that? Do you have experience of where that goes wrong? In the same way as, you know, can you read a graph? Can you read stuff that comes out of a computer in a sensible way? Do you know what data analysis might be? Do you know where machine learning tends to go wrong, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? That sort of experience. So that has to be intermingled with actually deploying the computation, just like we deploy, we write things in English language learning, which we have to do as part of our literacy. So those two ends of the spectrum are absolutely critical. And so what I've been pushing for around the world is is essentially computational literacy as a core subject. And it's a sort of funny mesh of some, what would now be called coding or computer science, a bit of that, some of the maths we're talking about, and this other layer of sort of computational understanding to deploy the machines and work with them. And another thing that comes out of that is, how do we learn to live with AIs? I mean, in the end, it's a bit like, you know, I manage a company and I have to manage people, it doesn't work like it says in the management book, right? <laughs> People don't work that way. Same with AIs. How you know we've got to learn how to manage the AIs, not not be subservient to them. And again, that's all part of this this process. And I, I do think it's as critical as if we don't get this right, it damages our democracies. I think we've seen some of that, particularly over the pond, uh, and it really makes the society far less cohesive. It means we've sort of got digital haves or computational haves and have-nots. Um, we need to try and bridge that divide. Speaking of divide, uh, how do you feel chat GPT in education and possibly in life? Uh, how does it mean? What does it mean for I'm in a I'm poor. I'm in a school that doesn't have a lot of money or I have a disability or I'm in a group that is in some way discriminated against. Uh, this thing has arrived. It's built you know, like all these things built with a democratizing intention. Uh, but it's also built by rich people who want to make money off it. You know, that's the sure. kind of stuff that happens. Um, is this good or bad for me if I'm currently with the current system, be it education or life? Am I going to, are things going to get worse or better for me? Question, or very, it's, it's complex to know. It ought to be good, right? There's no reason out of the box why this isn't good. It takes... In a sense, it allows people who lack a particular skill or capability and manages to bridge that and allow them to use their other capabilities better. It sort of meshes, um, uh, it, it allows you to mesh different capabilities, which, you know, but it, it, which, which people may not individually have. Now, as with every technology, there will be winners and losers. In terms of, and so, and one of the, uh, you may find there are people who you wrote off as, you know, not academically good or something like that, who actually end up being really quite good in this new world. Just like using my analogy of the past, there are people who were great Latin scholars who ended up not being that good at modern, <laughs> modern ways of thinking about uh, academic achievement, who actually, and, and vice versa. Uh, so I think it's actually quite exciting because I think there's a, a set of people who are currently disenfranchised by the educational system who I think could be brought within the fold. But what this critically, critically needs is curriculum reform. I mean, I wrote, wrote about a lot, in, <clears throat> a lot in my book. There's a <clears throat> sorry an ecosystem of education that basically prevents subject change. And you can see how this works because you have exams that you take the assessments lock in what you learn, basically, in most countries. Teachers teach the assessments in the end. Uh, and the assessments can't be changed unless sort of everybody, you know, government, uh, teachers, students, parents, all agree, the voters all agree about what how the change should be. 
and maths is so critical, you can't make any changes to it. <laughs> so you have this locked system and we've got to get around that because otherwise we are going to, you know, force people to, in a sense, compete with the AIs. The people probably who are least enfranchised at the moment will have the toughest time. Doing. In the end, if you throw lots of money at the problem in a nice school, you can probably get people over that problem with a lousy curriculum. But it will really benefit people. That was my watch responding because it thought I was talking to it then. I wasn't. <laughs> um, but it, there's no reason for any of this. And, and what's really exciting against previous industrial revolutions, you know, if you wanted to bring a sort of whole, you know, smelting factory into your school, you can't do that, right? Too big, too complicated, too dangerous. If you want to bring a computer into your school, they're already there and they're not very expensive. So there's no equipment problem fundamentally in any reasonable, you know, reasonably uh, affluent society like obviously Ireland. Uh, so none of these problems should exist. And I'll, I'll add one, you know, so it's a funny mesh of skills, objective, motivation. And one final, you know, critical thing is confidence. Problem we see a lot in maths education, and I think comes forward here is if we don't have confidence to take the risk to change, we'll fall into a much bigger risk of not changing. And that's really what has to drive what happens is so, so the answer to your question is, this should be very good news. But we've got to grasp it, otherwise it potentially could be bad news. Bringing AI into education and removing some of the tasks from students, maybe the more first principally ones, and we've analogized with other industrial revolutions, in the case of the fall and civilization going down the tubes in some shape or another, when you abstract knowledge to something that ultimately has to be plugged in, I'm being, you know, in some ways glib, but, you know, when you think about your the old skills are lost, nobody knows how to start a fire in the woods anymore. In the same way, is there a risk that when you take a load of stuff, what would have been drudgery or not needed away, and gradually that knowledge is, is it lost? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, is. is that something you worry about as, as the, the flip side to the excitement? I just think the, in a sense, what industrial revolutions and automation are about are you got to let go of that. And there is a risk. Uh, I mean, in the end, essentially nobody in the world knows all the way through from beginning to end how a computer works. Like I know more about the software layer. There are people who know a lot about the hardware. You know, there are many, 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 many layers. Now we could say, well, we're not going to use a computer unless uh, we know how it works. That's not how you make progress. Yeah. And so you've got to decide that, uh, unfortunately, yeah, you're going to, you've got to inject us in something. But in doing that, you can make huge leaps forward. And actually, many more people can survive. And, you know, there's always a risk. I mean, there's a risk we can blow the whole world up somehow. Um, there's always that risk. Uh, I think this is fairly far down the existential risk register, <laughs> whether we can solve an equation by hand when we've had machines that do it. Something um, will get us first, is what you're saying, long before. I, I, I think, and, and actually, in a sense, I think being competent on computation is a good way of not falling into some of the traps. I mean, like, you know, technology solutions for climate problems. Uh, in the end, that's driven by uh, mathematics at some level. And there will be solutions out there, in my view. You know, how we build technology to do one way or another, you know, the fact, by the way, that there are so many people on the planet now, good or bad, that, that that is, is absolutely a facet of understanding about industrialization, being able to farm better, etc., have more food, uh, and all the other things that allow so many people to be on the planet. So that's that's the nature of progress, and there are always risks. And I think one of the problems at the moment is, particularly in education, is it, it, the risk profile is not necessarily what it seems. And particularly if you're a government minister or something, your risk profile for staying in a job for the next year or two isn't necessarily the same as the risk profile for your population over the next 15 years. And on the flip side of that, what are you most excited about uh, based on what's happened in the last year? Because you mentioned earlier, you know, a year ago you would have thought X. Now you think Y because there's obviously been, you know, it's a it's a pebble in the wall of, 
revolution, but it seems to be a significant one. What are you most excited about what might 10 years time be like in, first of all, education briefly, but then the other possibilities? Look, in education, I think, well, one thing I'm excited about is we have a shock to the educational system with ChatGPT. I mean, independent of the details of what it actually does. And I remember talking to somebody in a country who'd been, who was the education minister and had previously been the defense minister, and, and they had got attacked, cyber attacked. And it said it was wonderful because it focused their military on how to defend against the cyber attacks. And they wouldn't have had the focus otherwise. In education, you don't often get these shocks. And you need the shock to jump you out of what you've been doing to really focus on what needs to be done. So, so there's a sort of, in a sense, I'm excited because there's been a shock. We need to really push that shock to get results. But I think I'm excited about the fact that pure chat GPT, I think, means that we can democratize uh, as a, you know writing as well as reading. So I think that's opened up a, a new area of discourse better human communication. And I think we've got this opportunity now for sort of computational literacy for all. And that, I, I really think that's a goal worth worth going for. And, and I think we are, this helps to move that one step further forward. In the outside world, I mean, I, I, there's ChatGPT, which I think will, will change those sorts of discourses in the outside world. But I think more generally for computation, I'm excited about how many different areas we can really get better decisions in. So medicine is a is an obvious area, and we and we did see this to some extent, right and wrong. Not everything was done right in the pandemic, but I think there were advances made by modeling things. Some of I wasn't keen on all the modeling for sure. I think things were overstated. There were lots of problems, part of which needed more computational literacy in our society. But if you talk about individual medicine, you know the fact that my genome will be understood the thing that makes me different to you in my genome uh, and how that might be treated differently and, you know, customized treatments for me to make my life better, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, much more efficiently efficiency for health services so that they can treat more people better, et cetera. I think there's huge, huge scope for that. And that's just one area, but that's a very major area that I'm excited about. Okay. Uh, something to look forward to, something you don't, not to dread, but to anticipate. Indeed. And uh, a chat like this in a year's time, a lot will have changed, do you think? Yeah, and I think people's perceptions as well as the reality. I think that there's a shift, a mind shift in what's possible now that people are suddenly waking up to. And that, that in itself will cause practical change. Conrad Wolfram, or Conrad Tungsten, as you could also be called. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming into the function room. And best of luck with the next stage. Best of luck to ChatGPT in the rest of its A-levels coming up later on in the summer. Great. Thanks a lot. Been great to be here. That's all from The Function Room this week. Huge thanks to Conrad Wolfram. In terms of things to mention from that episode, uh, Conrad's book is called The Maths Fix. You can find it wherever you get books. He's involved in so many things. It's probably best to go to conradwolfram.com. And just ask for directions there. We mentioned a bit of mathematics in the question about what's the maths behind ChatGPT. Conrad talked about eigenvectors. I don't know what they are. Uh, so I asked ChatGPT to explain eigenvectors as if I were a 15-year-old. And ChatGPT said, Sure. I'd be happy to explain eigenvectors to a 15-year-old and why they are useful for AI. An eigenvector is a special type of vector that, when multiplied by a matrix, stays in the same direction but may be scaled up or down by a number called an eigenvalue. Think of it like a special arrow that, when you apply a certain transformation to it, represented by a matrix, it stays pointing in the same direction but might get longer or shorter. I thought I'd better ask ChatGPT to say what a matrix is as well too. A matrix is a way to organize numbers or variables in a grid-like format. It looks like a table with rows and columns. Each box in the table is called an entry or an element of the matrix. Matrices are used in many areas of mathematics. 
to represent a variety of things such as data sets, linear equations and transformations. And sure, while we're here, I got ChatGPT to explain a vector as well. A vector is a special type of matrix that has only one column or one row. It's like a list of numbers or variables that are arranged in a particular order. A vector is a useful tool in matrices for representing information in a compact and organized way. It allows us to perform mathematical operations on the data and draw conclusions from the results. You really probably need pictures for this one, but stick with us or indeed stick with ChatGPT. Anyway, ChatGPT continues. So why are eigenvectors useful for AI? Well, in many applications of AI, we use matrices to represent data. For example, imagine you have a bunch of pictures of dogs and cats, and you want to use a computer to tell the difference between them. You might represent each picture as a matrix of numbers, where each number represents the brightness of a pixel in the image. Then you could use an algorithm called a neural network to learn how to tell the difference between the pictures. One of the challenges in using neural networks is figuring out the best way to represent the data in the matrices. That's where eigenvectors come in. They can help us find the most important features in the data. For example, in the case of the dog and cat pictures, we might use eigenvectors to identify the features that are most important for distinguishing between the two types of pictures, like the shape of the ears or the color of the fur. By finding the eigenvectors associated with a matrix, we can identify the most important directions in the data and use them to simplify the problem. This is really helpful for machine learning algorithms like neural networks, because it can make the learning process faster and more accurate. So in summary, eigenvectors are special vectors that stay in the same direction when multiplied by a matrix. And they are useful for AI because they help us identify the most important features in data and simplify complex problems. Is ChatGPT right there for all you eigenvector experts? Uh, my critical thinking skills extend really only to telling you that, although it sounds like it makes sense, I don't know if it's right or not, but see what you think. Okay, that's the function room. If you liked it, please leave lots of five-star reviews or any number between four and five on GoLoud or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm told all these reviews help the podcast get found and ask ChatGPT about how all that works. If ChatGPT hasn't heard of me, chances are it'll make it its business to find out and in a year's time, it will be making its own episodes of The Function Room. And if that makes this a bit less labour intensive, I, for one, bow down to our maths podcast making AI overlords. Anyway, enough from the real me and the AI me. You can find me on Twitter at Colm O'Regan or the podcast at Function Room Pod. But for now, this is Colm the Human saying goodbye till next week. Bye bye.